Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone the use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Debbie Churgai, Executive Director for Americans for Safe Access. This year marks the 20th anniversary of ASA's role in the fight for safe medical cannabis access. We hosted Debbie on one of our very first episodes of The Vine and are delighted to have her back to discuss how the cannabis movement is shaping up. ASA's 2021 State of the States report has been recently released, and we can't wait to discuss the findings. For our listeners that are unfamiliar, the State of the States is the comprehensive report that provides a detailed analysis of the state of medical cannabis programs in all of our 50 states, the District of Columbia, and our four U.S. territories on an A to F scale. And ASA is on the front line of medical cannabis movement, and we are grateful to have be having Debbie returning us to join us on the Vine. Thank you so much for being with us today, Debbie. Hello, thank you for having me. Great to be back and talking to you guys again. Yes, so welcome, welcome. So it's been over a year, like Gina mentioned, since we last spoke um, to you on the Vine, and um, just wondering how you're doing, any new developments that you wanna share uh, that are happening at ASA? We're doing great. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. We're also celebrating 25 years of uh, medical cannabis advocacy in general. It's been 25 years since the first law was enacted in California. Um, And we have some exciting things coming up where we're going to be hosting our 10th National Medical Cannabis Unity Conference um, in a few months. And we have our Vote Medical Marijuana Project coming out soon, where um, you can see who is cannabis-friendly legislators and policymakers and learn where to vote and how to vote and all those things. Um, And yeah, we have a a few um, exciting campaigns that we're working on around the country and we're just doing what we do, you know, trying to make cannabis more accessible, affordable and safe for patients and consumers everywhere. And we are so grateful for the work that you're doing because you're shining light on a lot of important things, the patient access, affordability, equity, product safety. And, you know, we always want to start with like, you know, who received the highest grade and the best score this year and who got the worst? Well, no surprise that the two states that did the worst were Idaho and Nebraska, simply because they do not offer any form of cannabis at all. They're the two states that are holding back. There are still a few states that only offer CBD, so those are also low. But Idaho and Nebraska have uh, no access for patients, um, so those two states scored the lowest with a zero percent. <laughs> and our top scoring state came to a little bit as a surprise to us as well, but it was uh, Maine. So, yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, Great. Maine received a 76, 76.14%, which, so I do want to explain that this year's report, we had to um, curve the grade 
a little bit because every state just receives such bad grades that we decided to do a curve. So the 76 is a B <laughs> in our book. So they received the highest score, the only state that received a B. There was one other state that received a B minus, and that was Illinois. All other states received C's, D's, and F's on how they're providing access for patients. So, so still a lot of work to do. And on this report card, it looks like America is not shaping up to be um, an A student anytime soon with the current patient <laughs> access. Right, and, and that's why this report is so important because uh, ac- you know access is more, or medical cannabis is more than just a law. You know, a- advocacy is more than just about promoting a law. So a law has been passed in 37 states in some form medical cannabis. There's also another dozen or so that have, you know, adult use. Yet all those states, even states with medical and adult use programs, are still failing patients on providing safe, affordable um, access for everyone in that state who needs it. So um, we're talking about patient rights, patient protections, affordability issues, issues with products that are available, forms of cannabis that are available, um, who can utilize it. You know, some states have these crazy condition lists where you have to have a certain condition where other states will allow um, you to use it for anything that a doctor recommends, which we definitely um, advocate for. So there's just so much going on in every state. And this report really highlights where states are failing in each of those issues. So the report shows actually growth in the medical patient market, even in states that have adult use. And and that's so interesting because we automatically think, okay, adult use, everybody's going to drop their medical card. And so, so why do you think that is? I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, yeah, that was actually one of a, a little surprise to us too, because there are states that have um, lost a patient counts, California being a big one, um, when adult use came along, simply because it's just cheaper to utilize the adult use market. You don't have to pay for the card. You don't have to pay for the doctor visit. So we were actually pleasantly surprised to see that there was growth in the patient population in states and in states that have adult use programs. And that's because, um, you know, patients want to talk to their doctors about it. A lot of people don't understand that, but we want to talk to doctors. We want doctors to be educated. We want doctors to know that their patients are taking this medicine and that it's helping them. If the patient isn't the one to spread that word about cannabis helping them, you know, who is? So we always encourage patients to talk to their doctors, even if doctors don't uh, agree then find a doctor that does or help convince the doctor that you're talking to, you know, show him, uh, you know, doctors only like to be educated, but show them research, um, show them that there are CMEs, continuing medical um, uh, education available for doctors and cannabis. And so we want to, um, you know, continue educating uh, doctors to be part of this system. You actually mentioned that it's it's less expensive in the adult use market. And I found when I was in Vegas, and maybe this has changed, that I my medical card was upstairs like a mile away. So I went into um, a dispensary and in the line that I stood in for adult use, I had to pay 30% more than if I'd had my medical card. 
So does that vary too? Yes, that varies within states. And that's something that we advocate for. We believe that it's crazy right now that in most states, it costs more to be a patient than it does to be an adult use consumer. So a lot of states are doing patient priorities. They're doing tax breaks for patients. Um, we believe that patients shouldn't pay taxes at all for their medicine. And we're also advocating for insurance coverage. So we believe that patients shouldn't have to pay for full price for cannabis in the first place. Um, so, yeah, there are thankfully a lot of states that are, are, are doing things to promote the medical program, to save the program, to to make it more affordable for patients. There's also a few states that have, you know, affordability programs um, and things like that that can help patients that can't afford their medicine. I think that's so important. I'd love to see a day where cannabis can be covered by insurance. I mean, that's what we're hoping for, right? And working what you're working so hard for. I mean, and this is fantastic. And I've just been thinking a lot about, you know, we're coming out of this pandemic now, but thinking about when we were in the thick of it and how cannabis was deemed essential then and how because of that, all of these certain things started changing where, you know, we're able to do the telemedicine appointments and curbside delivery became a thing. Even delivery in general became uh, available in some areas when that was not legal to, to be had. Now, I know in my state of PA, some of those things have stayed in his law. I mean, I just recently got my medical research and when I did, I was able to do so over the phone um, and didn't have to go in to see the doctor. So I'm curious, you know, what it, did COVID almost have a positive effect in a way to how the access to patients can be um, in terms of these kinds of uh, variables like curbside and, and delivery? Yeah, definitely. The one thing I want to say is a lot of these uh, COVID temporary changes that states made, they were needed before COVID. You know, <laughs> right. telehealth, delivery, those were things that we were advocating for, um, allowing patients to, you know, have their registration be more than just one year. These things were all things that we had been advocating for for so long. So when COVID hit and states allowed these things to happen, um, and by the way, in most states, these measures were issued without legislative approval, which just goes to show you that small changes um, can be made quickly. <laughs> um, but these, yeah, improvements such as telehealth, curbside pickup, delivery, delivery made dramatic improvements, dramatic improvements to patient access. And in several of the states, sometimes that was only the only improvements in the program in the last year was for these um, COVID temporary measures. And some states have chosen to, um, to keep these measures permanent. There's been eight states that have chosen to make at least one COVID emergency measure permanent, while the majority of other states have extended their temporary measurements further. So only two states so far, uh, Florida and Colorado, have allowed their COVID measures to expire fully, unfortunately. But I do want to remind people that these measures are temporary, which is a little scary in most states. They should be permanent, and we hope that they continue to be permanent. That is one of the recommendations that we um, request throughout the report in states that where they're not currently um, permanent to make these measures permanent, because they really, really do help um, patient access. Can you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. 
Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. And maybe you really touched on this, um, and and this is sort of twofold. Um, With the increase in patients, um, does that limit a supply? Do, Do states have a hard time with the supply chain as more patients come online? That hasn't been a problem. What has been a problem with the supply chain is when adult use comes into a state and they do not set aside uh, products for the medical uh, population. So patients don't go into a dispensary and say, hmm, what do I want to try today? You know, they a lot of them have a certain medication that they have to use, a certain type, a certain cultivar, a certain brand that they know is safe for them. And so sometimes when the adult use market opens up in a state, their products get taken um either uh, switched out by more uh, adult use friendly products or the adult use market ends up purchasing the products that they need. So that's where we find um, the biggest issue with um, the supply chain is um, adult use market taking over um, some of the products that medical patients need. And, you know, these, like I said, these patients, sometimes they need this medicine every day. Sometimes they need it every day for the rest of their lives. And for them, switching up a product um, can be really scary and unknown to what it could do to their system. So we really need to protect uh, these patients and the products that they need. In the way that we can do that, and I think of this like, okay, so we can fight for our states to get legalized. Like in PA, I would love to see us be adult use. But the bigger issue here is that we still have to fight for federal legalization. There's so many other issues that happen that would change if we could get our nation to organize and have one entity that could be responsible for our policies on a federal level. And I'm just really curious if you have any insights into where we kind of are with that, where ASA is standing on, on, you know, maybe how we as just members and of the community can get involved with really you know, pushing forward and advocating for federal legalization. So, yeah, at the end of our report, uh, the State of States report, there's a section called the state government's role in ending federal prohibition. Um, There is things that the states can do to help end federal prohibition. And it's about time that states really started advocating for this. I mean, a lot of states don't really want federal legalization because they're... I was just going to ask that, Debbie. Do they want to keep the... They don't want to give any of that money away, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And that is the unfortunate truth. People don't want to believe it, but a lot of states do not want federal legalization because they are making so much money with the medical market within their state right now. So it's a tough sell for some legislators. And that's why we're constantly reminding them, look, this isn't just about you. This isn't about money. This is about public health. This is a public health issue. Um, So we have a resolution that we are currently working on. One of the main things we're working on right now is trying to get states to um, 
to say that they are going to do something to help federal legislation. Um, we need them to step it up and say that they're going to help. We have um, a federal, what we call like a federal coordination. Um, uh, it's called the Office of Medical Cannabis Control is what we call it right now, which is a way for the federal government to, I don't want to say oversee the cannabis program, but it's a way for them to coordinate within the states so that everything is going through one entity federally. And it also will help protect patients and it'll make sure that every single state in the whole country has these same protections, patient right protections, employment protections, uh, safety protocols for testing the medicine. Every single state will have the same safety um, standards. And that is one of uh, the things that we are working for when it comes to federal legalization, because we 100% want federal legalization. It's one of our, it's actually our main goal this year. We're fighting for it this year. We're like, this is time. We need to get federal legalization. But legalization is more than just, as I mentioned, access. It's about protecting patients. It's about protecting the medicine. It's about health insurance. And so um, that's what we are fighting for this year. So I read this article yesterday in Roll Call um, that talked about cannabis, a cannabis federal bill being reintroduced in April. And of course, the article was sort of a focus on taxation and, um, you know, how, how we're going to, if the federal government puts 25% tax on top of your state government is at 30%, you know, it just makes it unaffordable. So I want to ask you how far away you think we are from federal legalization and, um, you know, what is that tax? What's the ASA's um, sort of stance on the best way to tax federally? And, and if, if we legalize federal, federally, and then how does that trickle down to the state? Well, I'm not a tax expert. I'll say that to start with. But there is a way we believe that the adult use program alone could bring in enough money to help um, pay for the medical program. So we do believe that the adult use program should have a tax to it, uh, not the medical program. But right now, taxes are insane. It is literally people are paying more in taxes than they are in the actual products in certain states. So I, there is something needs to be done with taxes. We 100% agree. But there's more than just taxes. So, you know, we want to make sure that we fix everything else. And taxes is definitely a part of that problem. We want to make sure that states are, are still making money and things like that, but not at the expense of patients and not at the expense of, of even consumers. You know, like the, the taxes are just... Um, over just crazy and unrealistic and uh, there, there needs to be something done about that for sure. It's not possible that we're like going to pay 50% in taxes. So part of it goes to the feds and part of it goes to your state. Like we're not going to get into that kind of no. thing. Do you think? No, oh. we absolutely hope not. That would be, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the hot topic issues in the cannabis space. And I understand why, because it's probably the most, um, the, the issue that is 
just the craziest right now when it comes to what people seem to think is reasonable. But no, we want to make sure that taxes are, are re- taxes are reasonable, just like everything else um, is in the United States. So how can, yeah? So how do we help support ASA around these kind of policy efforts? Is it your fly-in? Is it your Capitol Hill day? Is it petitions? Everything. Yes. I will be honest with you. We really need support. Uh, We do not get a lot of support from the cannabis industry, amazingly enough. Um, Yeah, very, 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 very little support from the cannabis industry. I think people would be surprised to know most of our funding comes from patients, unfortunately, who barely afford their medicine, and from non-cannabis businesses. So... um, we are in need for support because, like I said, like I think people think that because so many states now um, provide some form of access and adult use is growing, that people seem to think that advocacy is no longer needed, that, you know, we've made it, we're here. I, I remember when California passed the adult use market, someone called me and was like, we're, I made it. I don't need you anymore. I can, I can access medicine. And I was like, okay, good for you. You can afford it you're near it, you're, you have protections, I guess, uh, you're not going to lose your children or your job. Um, so good for you. <laughs> but what about everyone else in Everybody the country? Else, right? Yeah. So we, we really are still suffering in so many parts of the country. And unfortunately, we are an organization that actually does hear from these people. So we hear every week from um, people around the country that still cannot afford their medicine or cannot access it or, you know, or it's still illegal in their state. That is a constant reminder for us. And I don't think it's a constant reminder for people in the industry who are making money. So um, I would really love more support from the industry, but also just support from patients as well. We are a membership organization. It's only $35 a year to become a member. Um, so we would love anyone to become a member. You get a lot of member benefits. We just oh, actually we're hosting a members only webinar soon to talk about state of the state's report and to get feedback. That's good. Gina and I are paying members. Oh, members <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think I think you were on our last members only webinar, yeah. which we, yeah. we hosted one a month or two ago, um, the beginning of the year. So yeah, we're going to host another one um, regarding the state of the state's report, so we can get some patient feedback from this year and to see what people want to see in next year's report. So there are a lot of member benefits in our, our unity conference. You get discounts on that and discounts on anything else that we do, any of our other programs, definitely a lot of benefits. So look into our benefits. Um, are you doing a Capitol Hill day this year? We are. We are. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we just talked about this yesterday. So we, we were going to do a virtual one because, you know, Capitol Hill still closed, unfortunately. Um, you are allowed in, but you have to have someone escort you throughout the whole uh, building, which is not the way it used to be. So we're trying to figure that out now, how we can how we can do that. Um, but so far we're doing we're hosting virtual meetings and things like that. But we would love to get back on Capitol Hill for sure as soon as possible. Before we go, though, I want to ask you, Debbie, you were saying that, you know, a lot of the patients are reaching out to you. Um, I'm curious how many patients are bringing up whether or not they don't want to be in the system because they're a gun owner. 
because this seems to be something that just gets brought up all the time to me um, by um, you know folks that message me and be like, I would love to be in the program, but I'm not giving up my gun. And because of that, I'm going to stay on my opioids or I'm going to do whatever that I know that it could be a different way, but I'm not giving up my gun. And when we're talking about federal legalization, that's really the only way that that could change, right? Yeah, look, I'm not a gun proponent, but I agree that people that own guns should not have to, you know, not be able to buy medical cannabis. It's absolutely ridiculous. I actually went to talk to the NRA a few um, months ago about this issue. And I'm like, hey, don't you think this is crazy, NRA? And and they, they didn't really care. Honestly, they didn't really care. They didn't want to get into anything about cannabis. Um, which I think is really crazy because I know a lot of people that belong to the NRA would love to actually be a medical cannabis patient, but can't. That's a, a great example of just an issue that is just does not make sense when it comes to cannabis. Like it is absolutely ridiculous to not allow people that own guns um, to be a legal medical cannabis patient. So um, yeah, that's one of those issues that um hopefully legalization can fix and change um, and as it should, because it's um, a t- definitely an issue that should not be. Um, and we well, allow people to drink and, and yeah. have guns. I mean, that's, and we're not that's keeping amazing. track of how much they're drinking. Yeah. Right. We're not, we have no way of knowing any of that. So it's just like when we think about how alcohol can be so dangerous in ways like that and how we don't keep track of any of that yet, you know, we're, we're talking about a plant that is used as medicine being considered something. I just, I feel that so many people get into a weird situation where if they decide that they want to get their medical card, they do. And then they go to get that concealed carry permit and realize that, what do I do? Do I give up my medicine or do I have to lie on this form? And take a chance. And as far as I know, no one has ever gone after a medical cannabis patient for having a gun. But the fact that it's putting every patient at risk to either have to lie or to give up their medicine is just something that, you know, I am not a gun owner myself, but I feel like if that's what you want, being a patient should not be holding you back. If anything, like that's a perfect example of why we should all really care because there's so many different issues to choose from that if that, that, matters, whether it's, you know, the affordability that we discussed, the access, um, but this is not only the state's issue. I really love hearing that ASAs, let's go after the states to come together to say we need to collaboratively now put pressure on the federal government to make these changes. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and in regards to the gun issue, I want to say, although people aren't actually coming to someone and arresting them for owning a gun and being a medical cannabis patient, maybe individually, where that issue does come along is if someone does get arrested for doing something and they find that they're a patient and they find that there's a gun in their house, that's when the problem arises. God. And the only reason just, you know, I think you guys know this, but the only reason uh, people can't own a gun and be a medical cannabis patient is because on the application to register for a gun, there's a question that says, do you use any federally illegal drugs, which cannabis is federally illegal. And so they have to check that box on that form. And that is the only reason. And so, yeah, it's frustrating that um, a, a right um, is taken away from many Americans um, um, if they want to utilize medical cannabis to help with their, with their health, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. I also wanted to ask, um, 
So how can people just go on your website and download the uh, state of the states or does one need to pay for it? Everything on our website is free uh, because we are a patient organization. So everything is free to download and read. So right now, yes, our website, our, um, this, uh, this report, along with all of our other reports, are located on our website, um, safeaccessnow.org is our website, safeaccessnow.org slash SOS is where you can find the report. Although if you just go to our, our homepage, there's a link to the report right now on the homepage. Um, it's free to download. So you can buy a hard copy every year. We also get hard copy printed, um, but unfortunately we don't have funding right now to do a bulk order. It costs $93 to print one report because this report is, I think it's 152 pages. Um, And, you know, a lot of people want the hard copy and that's fine. We have a way you can buy it, but we're trying right now to get a bulk order, which will cut that price, I think, almost into a third. Um, and so we are looking for someone to help fund us with getting a bulk order of these printed so that we can give out the hard copy because it really is a very impressive report. I love having the hard copy. I have, I have the hard copy of 2020 right here. I have the hard copy of all the other reports right next to me. Um, and so we do want to get some hard copies of this report, but free to download and view anytime on our website. And you heard it's only $35 a year to be a member. So if you're listening and these issues matter to you, that's the best way that you can really be involved is supporting patient access by being a part of Americans for Safe Access as we are here at PMP. And we will continue to support everything you're doing. Debbie, thank you for all of your hard work and efforts. We know sometimes it feels like a thankless job. Even when you're talking to the gun people, they don't care. You're talking to some of the people in the (laughs) cannabis industry, they might not care. But us as patients, we care what you're doing. And we will find other patients that will care and give. And that's why we want to continue to bring you back um, to talk about different things here on the Vine. And we appreciate your time so much today. Thank you. It was great talking to you guys again. And congrats on your wonderful, amazing podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of The Vine. We appreciate you tuning in. For cannabis and psychedelic news, join us at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine.